Hey everybody, thanks for listening to Sincere Tweets. It's a podcast where I, Duncan Carson, interview creative people here in the city of Austin where I live. Uh, and I'm here with my longtime friend and co-host, Brendan K. O'Grady. Hey bud. How you doing, man? I'm good, pal. Thanks for having me. Good to, good to be here. We're good having to see a, you. We're having a lazy Sunday. We just went to see a movie. That's right. Had lunch at uh, a regular spot. Yeah, it was real Duncan and BKO Classic Day. It is like I don't know, but I, this that that re- I don't want to name it because then we'll blow up our spot. But that's like the only really like regular place I have for anything. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah, isn't that yeah, weird? No, yeah, well, yeah. It's it's such a perfect place to meet anybody for any reason. Yeah, um, because it's it's the right level of not pretentious. That if if you find yourself going there and someone complains about the vibe of the place, you know they're not worth hanging out with. What are you doing? But it was it was funny when uh. Kaylin Durante was here a couple weeks ago. She was just here to do shows and like be a tourist. And she was like, what's there to do? And every time I get that question, I'm like, uh, I don't know what people do. Yeah. Well, I mean, not to blow up your spot, but you don't live in town anymore. Uh, yeah, I live down in Lockhart. And, and everything changes here so fast that like, if you're not, if you're not in your neighborhood here, uh, watching it change in real time, I feel like every three weeks you'd come back, it would just look completely different. Yeah. Yeah, Lockhart's Lockhart's nice, although I'm already getting recognized and I don't care no, for it. Really? Not not like recognized from <laughs> comedy or anything. I just mean like people I've met and then I'll be going to pick up a pizza and they're like, Oh hey, Duncan and I'm like, Dad. <laughs> You're just now realizing you live in a small town? I'm just now figuring it out. Yeah, yeah, there's a pizza place. There's one place. It's one well, yeah, spot. When you, when you go to the pizza place, people who also go to the pizza place will, will recognize you as you, a guy from the pizza place. You think like, oh, I live right by the little town square. I'll just go like walk around there all the time. You can't fucking do it without bumping into somebody you know. <laughs> Is there one, like just one crusty county sheriff who's like just kind of uh, always tailing you in there? <laughs> no, but I, on you? no, but I did finally update my car registration because... I got pulled over for a, I, I, I got a speeding warning, and the guy was like, "You really got to get this up to date, man." Yeah. And now I live in a small town where I was like, "I'm gonna run into this cop again." <laughs> <laughs> this specific one. I've seen him again, like just driving around. He said hi at the pizza place. Ah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you were saying on your way here, you passed the first place you ever did stand up. That's right, and uh, one of the first places I think that you and I met. Probably not the place we met. I can't remember specifically, but I don't know. Yeah, a uh, a space that, and also let's also not name what it used to be because fuck those people. <laughs> yeah, fuck uh, that place. But a place, but a place that uh, that used to be comedy related was uh, the first building where I ever did a stand up comedy open mic. Yeah, man. Yeah, but and as I said to you, it was, it's fun because so you know like we especially in the open mic days we we would spend a lot more time together. We lived like a mile apart from each other, mm-hmm. and uh, so we would frequently hang out, whether we were doing a show or not. And uh, it's just not possible with just lifestyle changes and you know work and marriages and all that stuff. So, so yeah, so we we had we had a weekend off from doing the show, and so we got to to plan to to come hang out, and it was fun to fun to have a little nostalgic trip of spend time, see a movie with my pal like we used to, go to our place. Yeah, there's that building I started comedy in, and then we drove through campus to get where we are right now and i got stopped on a corner and watched a dozen children walk by <laughs> just chill child human beings who were in college and i instantly felt a million years old man what was it like having a uh, a friday off for you what'd you do it was great 
Yeah. 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 Well, you you would think that like, oh man, after having a, a forced year off from the pandemic, yeah, we would just be so just hey every single Friday, let's fucking go. <laughs> so excited. And honestly, I really am. I really love doing the show. Mm-hmm. The only thing better than getting to do the show is getting to have a week off not for reasons completely yeah. out of our power. It's kind of incredible, especially in the in the the sort of showbiz sense of like. We've both done the Moon Tower Festival. It would be fun to be a part of it. We're not this year, but they rented out our venue. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, that that strikes a certain chord in my, my egoic heart. Oh. But then it actually occurred to me, the last time that that happened, three years ago, uh, uh, I had that Friday open, right? So I accepted a uh, Chris Castles was doing a backyard comedy show uh-huh. uh, sort of deal. And that is where I met my current significant other. No. That she was at that show. Wow. So uh, I was just like, man, you know, that's that's better than any moon tower that I've ever done. That is a really nice way of thinking or about that. Or any festival that I could ever do. Another way of thinking about that is is that uh, <laughs> having this this commitment of this weekly comedy show that we've done, uh, you know, we took a break for a venue change. We took a break for World Plague. Mm-hmm. Uh, but otherwise, have done every single week pretty much for the better part of a decade. Yeah. Um, I think something like 450 shows. I haven't counted exactly. It's, but it's some, if you add in all the like festival stuff and uh, recordings and it's like 450. Yeah. yeah. We're right around there. So, so a nice, it's, it's nice for you to think of the, the, the day off you meeting her as, as that and not uh, how much more rich and full your life could be if we weren't <laughs> having this sucking <laughs> all of our vitality. <laughs> There's and, like and will to do anything. I else. could have had 450 other magical nights. You're kidding yeah. me. Or just think how many ex-wives you could have by now. <laughs> it's so funny too because you know the way like those stories. Like she, because she's like, oh, we almost didn't go to that. My friends and I, and, and this and that and the other. And then the only other comic, like stand-up comic that was on the bill, was Carlos Morrison. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, newer, newer yeah. guy to the scene. That was great. And I saw him a couple weeks ago, and I was like, you know what's crazy is I met my current significant other that I live with that night. And while talking, I was like, oh, I've done this to Carlos like three times at <laughs> least. <laughs> I'm a complete monster. Because it's, you know, that the, that sort of story is so enshrined in your memory. And he's like, yeah, you told me. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, it's actually funny because you're inflicting that on poor Carlos. And, you know, if it wasn't him, it'd be whichever other comic was there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it occurs to me that, you know, like, so we're just talking full nostalgia here. Ten years ago, uh, when we started doing this, there weren't a lot of comics who had been seen regulars in Austin for the 10 consecutive years prior. There were people no. who'd been doing comedy here longer than that, but most of them were at a different stage in their professional career. Some yeah. of them didn't live in town. Yeah, like, like, like a Martha Kelly had moved out yeah, yeah, or yeah. Brennan Walsh was gone. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. Like, you know, Howard Baker wasn't hosting a weekly show for the whole 10 years before we got here, right? Sure. So, so like, you could, you could like, or excuse me, hire Beecher, Beecher, and a few other, a few other old-timers of the Valve who would still pop in regularly, like, you'd still see them. Yeah. But, but it wasn't like... They had ten the the ten prior years to you being there to sit there and wax nostalgic about to you, right? Whereas like the generation of younger comics now have all of us who got here a decade ago, who there's still a lot of us here, yeah. Uh, like there's still a lot of continuity from that older scene. Uh, so hey, I, all I'm saying is it's probably not just you who keeps on boring oh, sure. the Carloses of the world with the same ten stories. I uh, you know like it's it's an Anybody that has glory days, it's hard not to bring them up. Or I feel like we're a little guilty every Friday of like telling the whole story of the show whenever part of the story of the show guilty comes up. Guilty of it? I mean, 
not not like it's a crime. Oh no, I relish it. No, I, yeah. I relish I relish in the opportunity when it comes up. It's fun to do. Yeah. Well, yeah. we well we don't do it when there's locals on. <laughs> That's true. It's, it's it's when someone comes from out of town, they ask about. They literally will ask like, so have you done the show here? Has it always, always been here? What a great spot. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. like, do you want to talk about the venue or our show or what? And the whole spiel happens. I'll do it. Look, I'm not judging anybody for doing it. No. But we have been getting a lot of out of towners lately. You know, it's nice. It's really nice. Uh, I feel like the first year back from, uh, you know, pandemic era, um, there were so many more cancellations and plans, travel changes and all those things that just made it really hard to make all those out-of-towners pop in. But obviously it's going to get more and more and more uh, consistent about people being able to travel around. So, yeah, it feels like most of the shows in the last little while have had some out-of-towners. Uh, it's the whole, it's the way we are now. We're, we're a comedy mecca. Yeah, right. But uh, so, yeah, it's been a week now, and uh, we had we had a fun week two weeks ago where we had, like, three shows in a row, basically. We had two sort oh, yeah. of brewery things back-to-back where we got to do extended sets. Yeah. And then sure thing again. Yeah, we were on shows together that weren't our show, which I feel like used to happen all the time, but yeah. now never happens. I feel like it goes in waves where yeah. people did it for a while, and then people were like, well... Now, you know, we assume you guys are tired of being on the same and, show. And they're you. right. I, I, we can't even carpool. It's fine. I don't need to see Duncan every fucking show. That's true. We now live, like, on opposite sides of where most venues are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's like, uh, you know, Stephen Farmer was hosting one of them, and he, uh, you know, after you left, he was like, oh, do you want to do this thing out in Bastrop that I do? Yeah. And i just driven out to Dripping Springs, which would be a goddamn hour. So I was like, yeah, I don't know. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, that's actually closer. It's actually like right by yeah. your house. <laughs> it's actually like about half an hour. Yeah. So yeah, I'll do that uh, coming up here. But uh, but how did that feel, doing long sets for the first time in quite some time? I was, it, was, it was fun. Um, it Yeah, there, there's not a lot of places uh, if you're going to be in, well, I was going to say in Austin, but really if you're in New York or LA, it's not like you get to do half an hour whenever you feel like it, right? Like Mm -hmm. outside of a club environment, there's just not really a place to do a feature length set that often. Yeah. Um, And there are a few here, uh, you know, like our show, we let people do a feature length set uh, to close. So that's that's at least one slot. And there's more, but um, there's only so many of them. And so uh, we don't get to do that often. And... It was it was like that like slight moment of panic of like <laughs> of like what what am I gonna do? Because at any given moment, I'm only thinking about fifteen ish minutes worth of stuff that I like doing. Yeah. At a given moment, and then like another you know here's a couple bits I can swap into any opening set, whatever you know. But uh, but then after a couple of minutes of just looking at my notes and, and just looking at just kind of just what I've been doing for the last six months, I'm, I'm realizing. You know, oh right, yeah, you've been doing this for a decade. You've got it's, it's not a matter of time; it's a matter of <laughs> of a, get a couple notes together and decide what you feel like doing for half. It's an a matter hour. of comfort, you know. Yeah. It's well, an, I, I do need notes. I can't just improvise for a half hour, like like or, or like you know, pull bits out of the air for a half hour because I will just forget every joke I've ever written. Really? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah there 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 are bits that I that I do frequently, like heavily for for months on end. Yeah. And then they slide out of rotation. For a couple months, and then it's eight months goes by, and I forget that they're even a bit. I forget, I forget lines. Yeah. I forget all kinds of stuff. That first show we did at uh, Last Supperery, it was like, I, uh, I, I literally got there. Every I was like, well, that's all I had written down. What do you folks want to talk about? Like, I had to stall. While I was like, what are my other bits? Yeah. And then something came. Well, I got me. to go after you that night, so it was it was nice for me to have. I, I was in the back, literally just like going through set list from six months ago. I'm like, oh right, like what. What jokes are recent, fully formed bits that are in rotation in my act that I just don't do because I fucking forget to put them in my act? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
But it did, it did, it did feel like, when is that light coming, gang? Like, <laughs> this has been an eternity up here. No, it was good, and and uh, ultimately, I think my big question is, uh, of any audience at a non-club setting, you know, do they have the energy to sit through a half-hour closer? You know, yeah. Do they want that? And it's not something I expected a brewery, but both of these breweries that we did were really good, and they're different energies. Like one was. Uh, a very full kind of contained room, like, you know, what, 100 people in there or so, mm-hmm. uh, with them all orienting face forward to the to the stage. Um, but kind of a quieter room overall, uh, like they were an attentive crowd, uh, which is great, but good the whole way through, good energy the whole way through. And then the second one, the next night, was out in that one in Dripping Springs. And when we first got there, we're like, this is like a fucking family restaurant vibe. <laughs> like, there's 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 children running around playing video uh, games and stuff. It's funny they worked out the exact opposite in a certain way because uh, the last stop brewery was like, oh, this is a great actual setup for a brewery. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the, the sound is really good. And yes. It's like sort it's of. It's not all echoey cinder block hell. Yeah, they had the ceiling was like padded, so it was like just a very good like room for it. But then I didn't realize till I got up there that they they had two like big fans right next to you. Yeah. And you can't it, that made it as if it were like a brewery where, where laughter dies and you can't really That's tell. That's true. That's true. Yeah. How you doing? So like I had to adjust. Yeah, there's last, no stage monitor, but last but second I had to adjust. Like, oh, I'm not gonna be able to really tell how I'm doing. Right. And then the next night was like, oh, this brewery is like loud and cross-talky and there's children running around. Uh, but then a lot of people were game gear, gamed up for the show. And yeah, like, and generous laughers yeah. that helped kind of unite the room. Yeah, so yeah, both both shows went, I think, great um, for bo- for everybody. Uh, all the comics. It was nice to see a couple of uh, new comics in town that yeah. were actually very funny and uh, didn't seem to have any opinions about uh, vaccines or something. Was, so it was <laughs> good, to, good to meet those guys. But uh, Vaccines didn't come up once. Yeah, it was, it was cool. And uh, it, it really does feel like we're on this like, little nostalgic run of like, man, it does feel like it does feel more like what comedy was years ago. <laughs> the mm-hmm. Austin comedy scene kind of feels like it's coming back to that a little bit. Uh, there's, there's, there's more good independent alternative shows around that aren't from the people who just moved here because of Rogan or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like... It'll start to reflect, think places, you know, not like New York level or whatever, but like if you're willing to drive like 45 minutes to an hour, you can find a lot of decent time, I think, to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and God bless like uh, like a Stephen Farmer. I was like, you drive down to Bastrop every Saturday to run a room? I'm like, all right. Yeah, don't you yeah. live and work in Round Rock? He lives up in Round Rock, you know? That guy's crossing three county lines. And it, comedy. And I, mean, I guess I now do that for our show because it's up here and I'm down there, but that was, you know, I, I'm not starting it from scratch. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I can commute to something yeah, yeah. I know is already going well. Is that, do you think you could, uh, we talk about often putting like a little tour together or something. Did that, did that fire any of that up in your head? Well, when we were, we were talking about it before the pandemic hit and, yeah. and we were just like kind of getting comfortable professionally and being able to take time off and stuff. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, that seems, it still sounds like it'd be fun to, to go out and do again, but, um, I, you know, in some ways I almost feel like, Hey, like let, uh, let the people who like are really trying to make the road dog thing happen. Yeah. Let, let, let them have first dibs on, uh, on yeah. tour life, you know? Um, it would be fun just to take a road trip and go do some comedy shows with my bud, you know? Yeah, and that's, yeah, yeah. that's, that's where that's born of more than anything else. But, uh, I don't know. I hesitate to even call it a tour if it's not like, 
you're promoting a specific thing or I mean, you know, when we when we do we did that road trip with Mac, um, we were comfortable touring that to be like, hey, Mac has an album out. We're going to promote it with him and he gets to close all these things and we're bringing you this this guy that we want you to hear his record, you know. Sure. If it was just us, it'd be just, you know, a couple assholes taking a road trip and doing comedy shows. <laughs> a couple which is assholes, great, comedy tour. Which is great and fun. Yeah. And lots of comics do that all the time. I just, I just, I, I you know, if you want to call it a tour, go for it. Yeah. Um, you're just going out to do shows that already have audiences in those towns. You're not going, you're not bringing yourself to town for the audience that's waiting for you there. Yeah. And that's kind of the, the distinction. If you're not, you're not like going hard on the promotion of, uh, of what it is that you're bringing to town that people are waiting for there, then mm. it's... Is it really a tour, or are you? You're a tourist, you know. You're yeah. You're kind of just doing both. It's fun. That's well. That's where it's like I'm gonna look for more things this year. That kind of two birds, one stone. It where Milwaukee has an improv now. I don't know when it's sprung up, but Natural I was like, club. well, I should hit them up. You know, feature in Milwaukee. Finally, that's never happened. Mm. Uh, you know, stay with my folks, do that. But uh, but yeah, the, I, I don't want to. Want to hit up the Tulsa Funny Bone or whatever? Like clubs have never, never otherwise appealed to me. No way, yeah. Uh, well, then I, I guess let me put it to you this way: we were talking in the car a little bit, and you said, effectively, like, you know, if if my, I don't do stand up because it's my dream to work in a writer's room, mm. or make it in show business, and I, and I, I feel much the same way where I, I don't really harbor like those ambitions or, or point my energy toward them, but. You know, do you do you do have any sort of long term plans for like what you want to do artistically? Oh, yeah, putting you on the spot. I mean, I I really <laughs> do feel like feel like at this point, like I've gone through a lot of kind of existential conversations with myself about why I do comedy, and um, the truth is that if we didn't have a successful show that I was invested in, would I be able to keep doing it? Uh, probably not as regularly as I do, obviously now, like I'm, I feel like I'm in kind of full-time circulation cause I'm always getting to work on new bits and just keep, keep sharp. And even if I only have one show every week, it's our show. It's a pretty good show. Yeah. Um, but, but in a lot of ways, I feel like my goals are kind of tied to the, the greater project of like keeping this going and to do what, to, to keep what this going means having a good show. It means remaining a dedicated comic who's, you know, sharp and trying new stuff and, and, uh, and has a, you know, has a, a continuity of performance, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We, you know, when I think about like, <clears throat> sorry, you're good. When I think about interesting professional goals that you have when you first start doing comedy, like, yeah, you know, it sounds like a it sounds like fun to work in media, not have a real job, right? And how you get to do things that are creative and stuff. But I, I mean, I don't know how you can keep doing it for so long if you're if you don't hit those if you hit those goals, you're on SNL, whatever, good for you. Like, sure. way to go. Seems like a seems like a fun life to have. But if the reason you do comedy is because you want to have another job in media or in entertainment as a whole, and you don't have that job after a little while, then why do you still like doing comedy? Right. And for me, I realized, like, at, at there's a good point at which I realized, like, you know, it'd be fun to do a set on a late night show or something. But, like, the truth is, I, I, I want to, like, what are my goals? What what show? I want to write for uh, Late Night with Conan O'Brien in 1999. <laughs> I want to write for the fucking Kids in the Hall, season three. Right, like, right, right, right. I want to I work on Mr. Show. Those things don't exist anymore. Yeah. And there are other things that, that maybe you, someone is passionate about and, like, wants to aspire to. 
there's things happening in, in comedy in the, the mainstream entertainment world that they aspire to and they want to be in that world. Yeah. But those things just really don't speak to me anymore. <laughs> like <laughs> I, you know, I hate to cast aspersions, but like people are doing well enough. We've, we've, we've made the the reference to like, what's it like to like be a really good stand up and work your way up to be the head writer of a late night comedy show whose most popular bit is playing board games with celebrities or whatever. Right. 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 Like right. It's, is it even a comedy job? Like, is that, is that, is that what makes you love stand up? That's why you do comedy still. I, I think that a lot of people who who get those jobs, or whatever, they do. They still do stand up because it's the thing that is vital and real and creative about what they like doing. Sure. And because they're egomaniacs, and they, they it's not enough to just be rich <laughs> to, to have a good job that's not much work, but also to to be recognized as an individual. Yeah. For me, I mean, all I have in all of this is enjoying doing comedy, and part of why I enjoy it is that we've managed to kind of keep this this ship afloat over a long enough period of time. Yeah. We still live here. Our lives are here, and there's meaning in my life that comes from outside of stand-up comedy. That then lets me look to stand-up comedy as this thing that can still be fun. Yeah, and it's still something I just like doing because it's a creative outlet. It's it's a hobby. Uh, but those are the reasons that I do it. So the answer ultimately is like, what's the goal creatively? Yeah. Keep doing the show at a high level and be good enough to host it. Um, just still still be, you know, committed yes. enough and interested enough in comedy that that I can still go up and, and do well with that crowd and and put on a good show for the comics who are on the bill and for people who come out. That is, uh, somebody was talking about, one of the out-of-towners, I, I couldn't say who with a gun to my head, but they were like, oh yeah, me and my co-host, we switch off week to week. And I was like, oh, we used to do that back when we only had 10 minutes each of <laughs> material we were proud of. Uh, but I do feel pretty good about, yeah, I mean, like, the show's obviously been just like a life raft through 10 years of change here to, like, keep me moving forward stand-up-wise. But, uh, yeah, and, and, and it's something you came to later in life than a lot of people. Stand-up comedy, huh? Yeah, yeah, a bit later. So I, I just mean, well, you know, and it, and it's always such a fraught conversation with with anybody creative, and especially like people that are still here after ten years, and and you know, because I don't want to say like like you know, if you died today, would you be disappointed or something? But I mean, like before you did stand up or anything, were, were there things like you have screenplay ideas? You you, you have dabbled in music a little bit? You yeah, know? oh for sure. Yeah, there 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 have been lots of things. I mean, for uh, yeah, I I will say that like in my early twenties, a lot of the energy that that all this. Uh, like it was all channeled into, you know, collegiate speech and debate. That was a world that I was, sure. uh, that I, you know, got me into college and grad school and all that stuff. So it took up a lot of time and there was a, a competitive aspect to it that lets you kind of invest a lot of your identity in that stuff. Um, yeah. But uh, creatively, I mean, sure. Yeah. I have a, I have a, I have spec scripts from sitcoms from the early 2000s. I have, I have a folder full of uh, movie pitch one sheets and stuff and nice. you know, stuff like that, but nothing that I'm like truly nothing that I'm uh, nothing that that I would still look at and have any kind of sentimental or creative or intellectual attachment to. Okay. I mean, all of that, all that stuff really always was like to have a writing packet. It was just to to have something when someone asked. Like, it was not something where I was, I was ever so enamored with the process of like wanting to work in official entertainment that I could even really 
could even really get myself to update an office spec. You yeah. know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like well, I wrote, I wrote one in 2003 or whatever, whenever the American office premiered, I, I wrote one because that's when I was writing and working in LA and stuff. In 2003. Well, whenever, when, when was the, when was the U S office Four. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, whenever the first season of that came out, because when you write a spec script, I don't know what it is anymore. But I'm uh, it's from Southern California, and they would say like, you know, yeah, if you want to write, uh, if you want to write on TV shows, you have a spec script. The way to have a spec script is to have pick a new show, a current show. Sure, sure. They sure. say like, you want something that's in this first couple seasons, because if someone likes the spec enough, they might want to buy it from you and make it right. Somewhere in Google Drive, I have like the first third of a New Girl spec. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, sitcoms. Like we grew up on them. Uh, we know the rhythms of them. Mm-hmm. I liked the I liked the UK Office. I didn't end up watching much of the American Office, but uh, <laughs> but the first season, I was like, okay, I get these character archetypes and stuff. And uh, yeah. but but I but I wrote I wrote it at that point, and uh, I never never touched it again for the next couple of years. Even as I was still at that point, you know, um, open for for work potentially writing and stuff. I just never 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 returned to it. I didn't care enough about. Looking back, ultimately, I, yeah, I, I just didn't care enough about like uh, regular entertainment world to like try to play ball, put in, put ever that much effort into it. Well, that's that's like I never. That's the farthest I made into anything is a third of a way through a spec. Ah, uh, because uh, it's just well, it's not that long. It's like thirty pages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's it's uh, and I forget when it happened, but at some point several years ago, I was like, I feel like I'd have already had a packet by now if I were ever gonna have one ready. Yeah, there's, there's. Or I'd do it overnight if something really. I definitely remember thinking to myself, like, do I need to update update Final Draft? Right. Like, because yeah, yeah. you get it for free. It was this is the LimeWire days, mm-hmm. uh, this is the torrent days. <laughs> uh, but like, oh, there's there's a, there's a new version of Final Draft. Shouldn't somebody ask to ever see a writing sample? Yeah. Before you find yourself getting you a second sh- version of the shell out software. for uh, screenwriting yeah, software. I, and I, I'd had a couple of writing gigs and stuff, but at that point, it was it it was all stuff that was like clearly like not going to come through. The, the traditional agency placement kind of, you know, writer's room stuff. It, it was it was from these, like, comedy, these ancillary comedy jobs, working for comedy websites and stuff and working on, like, small TV productions and stuff, and then someone hires you to work on something else, you know? Right. And, like, you can build a career that way. And, I don't know, thought about it, but, uh, man, in a lot of ways, I just, I really just try to imagine what, my, what a life could have been like with that, and I probably wouldn't be married, I wouldn't have a house, I wouldn't... I, most of my life would probably still be scraping by, um, just to, to keep working in, yeah. in, in a field that, uh, that seems fun and glamorous. Like but, existential terror between stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and, and I, I never wanted to be the star of anything. I mean, I, I, you've known me a long time and I, yeah. I think I've always been, consistent. I've, I've never had any interest in being famous at all for any reason. That's that's I can back that up. Fame, fame is not I, like the the closest thing I've ever wanted to being like quote, famous, or whatever, is just to be like I never wanted to be known to people in general, but I thought it would be cool to be you know you go to a comedy show and the other comics go oh that comic's the one everyone likes yeah It'd be a comics comic would be comics cool. comics comic yeah but that's you don't that's not I, I zero interest in being on camera and yeah famous. like. And I've done acting projects and stuff. That's, like I, I like acting, but I'd much rather if, if I could have a Hollywood career. I would love to. I'd love to age into being like a weirdo looking enough dude that I can have like a like a sideline when I'm like seventy years old as a little bit character actor. Yeah, in he's like parts. You, people just go to you for like a certain type of guy. Just just old giant guy. <laughs> That's what I'll be. I guess we, I need, we need a six foot five old guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, get Brennan Kale Grady yeah. on the phone. He can deliver a line. It's fine. <laughs> there's, there's only going to be the one, if, if that. 
Uh, no, that's, but that's, that's, that'd be cool life to have. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, you know. Am I supposed to ask you why, why you keep doing this? So many of no. our conversations at this point, I've just like always come back around to doing the show. And I guess the thing I didn't say earlier is like, I, I should be very clear. I'm very proud of our show. Oh yeah. And because I, I'm, I'm somebody who, who like has always believed like it's, it's much cooler just to make your own thing and do it for as long as you can, as well as you can, mm-hmm. and then call it a, call it a day, call it a career, call it a whatever, you know? Um, if, if, if the reason you get into, if you go to a comedy open mic cause you think it looks interesting and you're living in Austin, Texas, and you're doing it because you think it's step one of a grand plan to be headlining Madison square garden. I don't understand your fucking logic. Like <laughs> I, I, I don't have your vision, you know? Uh, but if, but if you get into comedy because like, oh, I've always been a comedy nerd. I love comedy, you know, stand up comedy, something I see a lot more cause it's on TV and YouTube and stuff. And, sure. and, uh, you know, we had this whole second boom for the last 10 years if, if that's what drives you to be interested in comedy and then you you make your thing and it goes for a while, great. Our thing, it, it's still going. So as long as we have the, the great fortune to keep doing it, I feel like, you know, that's that's what I get to look back and be be proud on that I spent all my time and energy on, you know? Yeah. I don't need to be – I don't need to have a, a CV or a, a credits list, you know what I mean? Like I made this thing that ran for 10 years or however long. Yeah, and it's always – the show's always something that's existed, I think, because it's like we, sh- I, I feel like we share a common sort of like uh, lack of, of sort of like stand up is not a gateway to anything else for me either. Yeah. You know, it's a thing that I love doing. And I really got a dose on that, that week we did all those shows of, of like, oh, I just, I love doing this a lot. Yeah. I love the old stuff. I love, like you were saying, when other comics are like, oh, you're, you you guys are really both guys. I'm like, yeah, we've been doing this for a while. <laughs> There's a reason we're doing long sets and you're not. All right? not, not, like, not like they're not, but there's a reason we're doing them. Yeah, tonight, tonight's us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, sometimes from the outside, other people will be like, oh, why doesn't Sure Thing have like a second night or, or expand in this way or like the eternal sell merch we should have an email list or whatever oh god and well just, that that one stopped nobody wants an email list anymore yeah that's over yeah that's definitely we missed the window yeah. <laughs> email sign up list uh i'm sure people still do it but uh but there's just something that's like not cool about it and not like it's true to the momentum of it going forward and in certain things that we've done or not done so i well i, I just i always interested to to ask where your long-term head's at because we end up speaking in the like next few months logistics quite a bit yeah um but you know we don't we don't sit around and dream like we did in 2011 so. well it's it's felt almost impossible to do so since 2020 happened and, Cer- and, certainly. I, and yeah I, you know uh going into this year we met and we we had dinner and we were talking about ideas and we were talking about, you know, it, it sucks that, that, uh, that records, it's hard to get a momentum going to make stuff uh, mm-hmm. for a variety of, you know, personal reasons of people we've worked with, but mostly just life reasons, uh, you know, venues, venues are going to be open and then the shows have to get canceled and then, you know, yep. et cetera, et cetera. I think we can probably pick up more momentum doing that if we want, but the media landscape has changed so much and like what we love about comedy albums is, you know, more of a niche thing than ever in a lot of ways. Sure. Um, yeah, I think yeah. I still want to do it, but... I say all that to say, you know, we met and we were having dinner and we were talking about what to do moving forward and just kind of riffing in the moment, there were still ideas that came up that's, yeah. that I, I can get excited about. And I do want, I, we need just to see some things logistically keep working out, 
in the world outside Mm -hmm. of what we can do, you know? Um, But to what you were saying a moment ago, uh, so there are things that I, that I feel like we get excited about. And to repeat myself again, I think that the prospect of just being able to keep doing this is really special to me. And if we can somehow, I mean, if I'm going to live in Austin for 10 more years, I'm definitely doing the show for 10 more years as long as we can. Right. As long as we can. Um, But beyond that, um, there, there are, there are things, there are things that I can get excited about. There are, there are, you know, uh, there's a long, long runway ahead and, and just, uh, more chapters of this story to keep writing, but doing a second show, um, you know, trying a little too hard to, to build into something else, um, it, it, in the way people seem to have in mind when they talk about like, oh, what you could do with an email list or you know, right, 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 or like you know, or hey, why don't you guys sell t-shirts? You, sell, you sell t-shirts. Yeah, yeah, we could probably take some of those steps. Like we could probably make a t-shirt and sell them. You know? I think we could like a shirt would be like we're past the point that that would be gauche or something. Right, yeah. right, and, and it's not it's not even about being gauche necessarily. I've sometimes but, but, but wished that I had one. There, there, there's a sim- you're putting your finger on a similar thing that I'm trying to trying to touch, which is like not wanting the our reach to exceed our grasp at any point. Mm-hmm. Like I know what we are and what this is and that's special to me. You know? Yeah. 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 Um, I, I, I don't, I don't care if people, uh, I'll say this. I, I got to do a podcast recently um, with a friend of the show, a friend of our show, Robin Reynolds and a Robin friend Reynolds? on the internet, James West knife a, club. Yeah. I did a little horror podcast with them. It was very fun. Mm-hmm. At the end uh, they were, uh, they were very nice to, James has said, like, you know, we booked Brendan even though even though Robin doesn't live in Austin and I'm not a stand-up, so we can, like we're not chasing clout to get on Sure Thing. And then, <laughs> and, then and Robin was nice enough to be like to be like, because Sure Thing is the best show in the best stand-up show in Austin. And that's incredibly generous of them. It's just very nice. nice. Yeah. Um, but it, I really am not pegged to like that being our identity. Whenever someone says something like that, or uh, you know, uh, we were we were on uh, Comedy Wham uh, on yep. their anniversary show, and it comes up and just like you know, th- there were certainly weeks, there were certainly it, like little runs where we were the best show in town, uh, and and I and I would put that up against anything. Mm-hmm. And then there are other times when other great shows are really hot and having great having great shows and have the right mix of people and and you know and are more interesting and fun. You know, like yeah. part part of being in one place. Uh, being around for 10 years and changing venues and things just being a little bit different over time is that, you know, we're not always the, the hottest, coolest thing around. That's fine, <laughs> you know? Um, it's it's better for the comedy scene as a whole if there's other great shows that at any moment are the best show in town, you know? Mm-hmm. But I'm also confident that, like, you know, hey, we can be doing this two or three years from now, four or five years from now, who knows, and just be on one of those one of those runs of, like, you know, six incredibly hot weeks in a row sure. you know shows selling out every week easy uh you know good guests coming through we're in good shape and just we just know we're we're, we're on one of those killer runs you know those are going to keep coming too and getting to be the show that's been around as long as we have already is very special mm-hmm. and getting to keep that going is is the thing that i'm really most excited about moving forward than anything else more more so than ever doing starting a second show more so than trying to grow myself into a brand that headlines more shows or goes and plays clubs and stuff like i'm just more interested in in keeping this going for 10 years and 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 honestly like i you know we've seen so many great comics who've come through our show as like brand new comics or people who did their first closing we we got their first headline at our show or you know did 25 minutes or a feature length set for the first time at our show you know Yeah, yeah yeah and like then they go on to bigger and better and stuff. And, you know, that's, it just feels cool to kind of be like a, you know, a, 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 
a thread in the beautiful tapestry. <laughs> a benchmark. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a thing. I mean, like, just, just, it's so flattering when people come in and say, like, oh, I heard this show was really great to do. Out, out, oh, totally. out yeah. in New York no, or Los yeah. Angeles. Yes. You know. Yes. Yeah. No, I live for that. And then, and then just, uh, and then, like, just, and it's all, it's like, it's like a loose dozen anecdotal pieces of evidence, right? From our friends that have gone one way or the, one way or the other and come back. Or like just visit back and say like, oh yeah, time out there kind of sucks. Yeah, uh, especially starting over and all that. So it's just it feels very validating every week where I'm just like, yeah, I get to do this show once a week for the last ten years of my life. Yeah, and it's and I don't, you know, it's it's there's no grandiosity to it. It's a show with seventy people, eighty people tops yeah. in a basement theater at a black box thing. It's it hasn't made us rich or whatever, yeah. but like. Just, just, I realized it has colored my vision of like my entire life. I, I, I realized I'm like, oh, your 30s are better than your 20s guy. Yes. You know what I mean? And I'm yes. like, would I be that guy if I didn't start this show when I was 28? But you did. Yeah. <laughs> and you've kept it going. <laughs> right. Because at, in your 30s, you were the person who could, who could do this as a project. You couldn't have done that when you were 18. You just weren't that person yet. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, you're. I, see, I, I'm. I'm 100% with you because when people say it's not like someone say we're best show in town or something, but it's just like, oh, you're from some other city's comedy scene, and someone said, oh, you should go do that show. It's a good one, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm just glad that like Austin's comedy scene reputation continues to proceed it so well. You yeah. Know? I yeah, think yeah. that independent of the Joe Rogan of it all, which we're also <laughs> talking about, um, like the truth is that Austin remains a hugely important like comedy scene in America now. And yeah. it's, I mean, obviously, just for laughs, the 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 uh, the, the shambling uh, brand uh, attached itself to the next biggest comedy festival in America, exactly. and it was here. It was here. <laughs> you know, uh, the, the the fact that we have. You know, multiple mics a night, multiple shows a night that we're going to have uh, an A-level club opening up again soon, that we have a great local showcase bar mm -hmm. uh, in the Valve that everyone in the region wants to come play. Yep. Um, it, it definitely, that is validating because it's like, yeah, we are Austin Comics. Yeah. And it definitely makes me feel like, you know, the people who go through it in New York and that grinder they have a very hard one sense of the value of what that is right. and a very romanticized idea of, of, of how great it is to do, to try to do five mics in a night in New York city. And you know what? They're fucking great New York comics and New York comedy means something there. It does. Um, when they go do shows elsewhere, does that serve them? Some of them it does. Some of them it doesn't, it doesn't, yeah. you know, but New York still has, you, you can't, you can't say this about New York. Uh, you can't say it doesn't have a fucking comedy scene <laughs> independent of the clubs and the big theaters and the big fans people doing shows. Yeah. It's people doing comedy there and getting good at it and stuff. And as much as there's comedy shows in every town in America, you know, there's breweries everywhere. I'm sure that I'm sure every every hipster town in from North Carolina to Idaho has every college town has mics and shows and stuff now. I'm sure right. they don't necessarily have the, the infrastructure that produces as many funny people as we do that. They get to run their own shows and run their own mics, and mm -hmm. and I think there really is something to be said for you know you you get funnier by coming from a a, a scene, not just yeah. a place that has a mic. A scene, yeah, and that's that's like, I feel like that's the reason the Joe Rogan question is kind of annoying, because it seems to carry an implicit like, oh, it'll sig like his presence signifies a leveling up of some sort. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, it, yeah, no, it really doesn't. Well, it, I mean, I guess it does in terms of just number of people, just scale. I mean, it, like, it's, it's it's another it's another branch on the tree 
of the story of 800 people moving here every day. Yeah, exactly. You know, just just like Elon Musk and Tesla is exactly, for some people. Right? It's part of like a bigger thing, but it doesn't mean anything to the 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 ecosystem of the comedy scene, which he just grafted on his own thing yeah. uh, to not participate in. You know, like it's it's like it it signifies that we're the place where somebody goes. Yeah. Because we were already here. The soil is fertile. <laughs> fertile ground, man. Plus the place where it's like fun to live anyway and do your own kind of thing outside of the Hollywood fucking shuffle. Yeah. Which is like, we get to do that already and we can walk down the street without being recognized by bros. <laughs> yes. Although we, we, uh, we've we been recognized by some people around here. I Yeah. I'll did, get... did I tell you I got recognized by a customer by my voice? What? Yeah, at work. That's never happened to me. Yeah, That's... yeah. I was on a on a call with a customer and some other people from work, and then uh, they were they were they were nice enough to be cool about it. But uh, but I think that I think it was the combination of my voice and then my screen name, which I'm not Brendan K. O'Grady in in work. I'm just Brendan O'Grady in work. Uh, but they Googled me, and then they were and afterward, then they were just like, wait, they waited for people to drop off the call. Like, <laughs> hey, Brendan, uh, quick question: Like, are you in Austin, Texas? Uh, right. Yeah. And they they had come to the show. Are you Brendan? K O'Grady, yeah, right? Hey, but but you know, getting to do a show in Austin for like ten years, uh, you know, it's it's happened. You know, they came to the old Trader show. Joe's. What's that? They came to the old show. They came to the old show. Or, yeah, yeah. There's yeah, we get those, which is fun, which is which is good. I was... that's 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 about as much famous as I need in my life, though. My God. <laughs> uh, I mean, I was I was trying to like. We've been doing the show for ten years, and there's got to be so many people that came to the old show a lot. Yeah, but they don't really go out anymore. Uh huh. And I was like, "How do we get?" A lot to- of them are dead. <laughs> I mean, statistically, a few of them are dead. That's for sure. This could, is Texas, and and COVID happened. I could think of a few regulars in particular that are probably dead. There's another free show that I go to on Wednesdays, though the Buzz Mill, and uh, we, we we see one of our one of our old diehards there. Oh yeah? yeah. Oh yeah. 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 That's yeah true. He, he found another found another weekly. Well, we're not free anymore. I can't take it personally. Nope, can't take it personally and can't go back to free. Sorry, <laughs> folks. <sighs> okay. You, uh, normally, you normally talk about creative stuff. Is that what you do? Yeah. Okay. Well, it was inevitable that we were going to talk about the show then. But we talk about things that aren't comedy frequently. We do. We do all the time. We used to. Uh, last, I mean, like. That wasn't to put you on the spot. <laughs> If anyone's wondering, the Northman whipped ass. We yeah, the Nor- we saw the Northman. It was great. I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Yeah. But uh, well, that's 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 interesting to me too because uh, I feel like you know in college I uh, minored in film studies, big cinema guy. But you're you're like all the way in the deep end on like the Criterion stuff the last <laughs> five six years, right? It's all the way in the deep end, man. You're you uh, like. Have you? How many Criterion movies have you seen? Were there like six hundred? Oh yeah, I don't count, but a lot. Yeah. What ballpark? It. Ballpark it. I don't know how many Criterion Collection titles there are, um, <clears throat> but I mean that is just one particular um, label that that does a lot of good, loving reissues of stuff. And sure. Do a very good job of it. I don't know. At least a few hundred, three hundred, mm-hmm. four hundred. I, I guess know, I've seen a lot of movies. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Have we ever talked about? It? I almost went to film school. Like I had a I had a partial scholarship for film school. No, what? Yeah, at at, uh, at uh, Chapman University in uh, Santa Ana, California. I guess I guess this is what's fascinating. It's a good film program, but I didn't go. This is like the the whole sort of theme here, maybe. As I'm as I'm thinking about it, is what's interesting to me. Like, like 
from my like brain perspective, right? Because I like stuff, but there's a part of me that is like, well, someday I want to make a movie, right? And that informs so much of like the way that I interact with film, right? And it, and it always has. I don't know if it'll ever happen. It's another thing I've never quite finished a script for. Um, but it's it th that's definitely one I still actively think about all the time, and like I'm uh, I'm kind of starting to map out some radio scripted stuff, hence the the four, you oh, know, okay. mic setup and all that, and because I feel like that'll be a good way to do proof of concept. Like I can write scripts, and they're funny or interesting or whatever. Um, so the depth of your love for music, for film, for comedy, you know. It's very. It seems much more independent of wanting to make stuff yourself than my own personal like approach. Oh, I see. And uh, uh, so I don't know if it'll be comforting or yeah. or the opposite to hear hear say hear me say that. The truth is that I mean, deep down, I'm a frustrated feature film director. Okay. And deep down, I'm a frustrated uh, you know punk musician or whatever. Sure. Th there, there's a there's a point at which I kind of had to had to recognize that I I hadn't made uh, like I never made friends with an instrument as a kid, you know. Mm. And and it is one of those things, along with brushing your teeth and flossing every single day, that I wish I could have like kind of beaten the discipline into myself as a young child. <laughs> yeah, on. sure. Uh, because those are two things that I wish I did have. Sorry, uh, flossing every day. That seems crazy. But yeah, but the people who have like insanely good teeth and they're 40 years old, you look at them like they're another species yeah. now. And like, yeah, yeah. it's not, it's not a secret or that hard. You just actually have to do it all the time since you're a child. Uh, but you know, I, I never, I never learned to play an instrument as a kid. And so while I do love music, I think there's a part of me that also kind of, um, and this is partly a product of like the, the era, the age that we, that we grew up in before the internetification of, of the world, uh, you know, and the collapse of kind of all media, but like, the, the role of a cultural critic was a little bit more of a significant thing uh, when we were younger. It mm -hmm. wasn't just like opinion chaff. It was like you studied things to like understand craft, to like have something to say about something as mm -hmm. a way of like uh, estimating it or appraising uh, it. Um, and so I did, I did always have that kind of like nerd impulse to like learn how things work, learn the history of things when it came to things I'm interested in. So that means I devour, you know, tons of, of music, books and stuff and uh, not so much technical information stuff. So mm -hmm. I'm trying to trying to learn more about that now so I can better understand the things that I love. But uh, a lot of history stuff, uh, you know, just reading page after page after page of the all music guide. Mm -hmm. Same thing with same thing with, with feature film, you know, I had yeah. film guides and stuff like that. And I was interested in going to going to film school. Um, and there there is I guess I should say that while I have like writing samples of stuff that I don't have any interest in comedy. There are still a couple of feature film things that are rattling around that are like these are like here are the three movies that I have that I've always wanted to make. Yeah. That are still interesting ideas to me that are, you know, one of them is a true crime story based on an actual story that happened in Southern California when I was a when I was a kid and would be kind of, you know, I want to tell a murder mystery story at the turn of the 21st century and has always stayed in my brain as a thing that I want to do and when I watch certain film directors like Jeremy Saulnier uh, did like Blue Ruin and Green Room. Like, oh, okay, sure. So there's there's a version of like this kind, this this sort of storytelling for this story I like, and thinking about the ways I would want to make it. All that being said, just part of being old enough and going through enough things in life means that I've had enough experiences adjacent to those things. Yeah. That the romantic ideal of them can be put aside. You know, I had I had a job working in commercial video production for a few years. Sure. And I got to write and direct TV commercials and stuff and. 
the truth is there's so much that comes with the world of film and TV production that is just as a lifestyle stuff I don't like. Yeah. Um, yeah there's yeah. so much lifestyle trade-off that comes with, with having to work in that field that in some ways it has, it has made it easier for me to, to like kind of put aside any dream of wanting to do those things full-time. Be like, well, I've got some ideas, some stuff that, that would be fun to do, and I've got the unrealized movie in my head. Sure. And that can keep on getting better in my head over years as I learn more about film and stuff. I don't feel like I have to make the movie for anybody, even myself, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, you're like, I get to kind of see it in yeah. my brain. And, yeah. and, and, if I, and if I didn't do all this, if I, had, if I just had a different life and, you know, maybe I would have stayed in, in L.A. and gone to film school and, and done, like, the shoestring feature budget, you know, of shoestring budget, make your first feature and just try to get an independent film circuit – Maybe I would have pursued that. Uh, it is what I thought I was going to do out of high school. Sure. Um, and really scrape that together. But my life went a different way. And then by the time I, I got into doing, you know, creative work again as, you know, in the, the world of comedy, just as kind of a sideline, it's just hard to give up the rest of my life. It's hard to give up the stability that I have to, to envision wanting to chase that stuff. Yeah. The last piece of this whole puzzle is, like I said earlier, like, you know, when, when I picture myself like getting to like work on a TV show, it's not a current TV show. Like the, the, the entertainment industry as a whole has only gotten worse uh, in terms of being an, like I, an environment I have no interest in working in. Yeah, no, I, I just I realized I just only I would want to write for Conan back then. Yeah. yeah maybe maybe a little later than you said. But yeah, there's there's no yeah. there's there's no version of a studio of like making a couple indie features and then getting a studio to give you I guess what today would be the equivalent of like forty five million dollars to make a to make a, a an adult drama like a thriller or a crime movie yeah I, I can't there's it's just not how the I can't think of the last time the, that's the movie happened. business is not geared that way yeah, anymore. yeah. like everything is either mid-budget you know, drama that does not happen yeah, they, yeah. everything's either like reality content that's all shot on digital cameras over a weekend for yeah. nothing or giant tentpole franchises that are tied to a million other things all right that's so it's just it's just not a word i've lost interest in those worlds more than i've lost interest in the world of film sure. and so i i am going further backward and like you bring up the criterion collection i mean you know janice films does a lot of great stuff yeah and shout factory does great releases and and I don't even buy physical media anymore, <laughs> but uh, but I I did decide like you know what there there's there's a there's a good chance that movies for the most part moving forward new movies are kind of dead to me, mm -hmm. um, just because of the nature of what's being produced and man I watched that new Batman movie <laughs> and what a fucking turd I tried because like, like you mentioned it yesterday and so I like Batman like so I gave it a shot it I was, was unwatchable I couldn't sleep for a while so I was like. I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'll, I'll watch it again. I I took an edible when I saw it in the theater, and I was like, boys, maybe this is even, maybe I'm finding this extra boring because I got too stoned. Nope, <laughs> it's so dumb. Yeah, and, and like the only reason it's three hours long is because the Warner Brothers makes it, and then they can put it on HBO Max streaming, which yep. they own, mm -hmm. and then at the shareholders meeting, they can say, people watch HBO Max on average for three hours and 11 minutes. Because right. he made one fucking Batman movie that took that long Two to get hours, through. 52. And it ate up someone's night, and no one even enjoyed it. Oh. Everybody I know who's even watching the Batman movie is like, oh yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we watched like an hour of it tonight, we're gonna watch like more. Like, it's a movie, it's not a TV show. If you can't watch it as a movie, it's not a fucking movie. If, if, you, if the only way you can get through it is to turn it off and go watch something else for a while and it's then return so... to it tomorrow when you can muster up the energy to have some interest, then it's not a movie. And, and that's the way movies are now. Like, just there, there, there's, there's so much that goes into to the entertainment industry that has so little to do with the craft and soul of what these things 
were that made them art. I don't even know what the point of this Batman was. <laughs> like, well, it, it does have it, it, it's yeah. Sorry, I, I could I could rant about it because like uh, if you squint, it has good politics, and then you realize it has Obama politics, which is oh boy, recognizing like it's it's like watching The Wire, where yeah. where, where, where they're like, oh, we can encapsulate like here's where here's where everything goes wrong. I like and and the big problems are uh, the schools are bad. And the media is bad, and like <laughs> those things have very little to do with like the the dead state of politics and institutional decay in America, right? But the new Batman movie, spoiler for anybody, don't watch it. It's, Who gives it's a shit? It's been several months. Uh, Paul Dano like is getting uh, the Riddler is getting his like Zodiac killer style revenge yeah. on the world, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, because of because institutions don't care about people. Because he was an orphan, and him and all the other all the other grown up orphans are gonna blow up the seawall. I'm kind of on his side. <laughs> You know? well, of course, but the problem is the movie. The movie doesn't have anywhere to go with yeah. that that point. No. So all all he does is they 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 blow up the seawall that's holding. Like, apparently, Duncan is Rotterdam. Uh, or, excuse me, uh, uh, Gotham is Rotterdam. Rotterdam, yeah, uh, Sweden or whatever. There's seven. Dams yeah, it's it's. <laughs> do you ever know it's a mile below sea level? Apparently, <laughs> uh, but like this Who act knew? of terrorism, Port and City. Batman has to save the new mayor. Because the the old mayor was corrupt, and his dad was running for mayor, and he was corrupt. But but I'm sure this this new mayor's the good one. I'm like, sure just a good person is what's going to change all of this. Her last name is Real, <laughs> Real Change, Real or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but but like but but in the world of the Batman, right? Like yeah. I don't think that that anybody who wrote this or anybody who watches it or anyone who's in the universe of the Batman thinks that if this new mayor chick dies, nothing's going to fucking change anyway. It doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter. Politics have we, we've had such an institutional decay and such a such a we're so far removed from uh, from the the organizing mechanics of a government having anything to do with like an expression of the will of people. I mean, we've never been a democracy. Literally, right. uh, three fifths of this country has never been close. Uh, but but now like everyone is able to put their finger on. Okay, well we know what the frustration is. Mm-hmm. It's all the systems are failing, right? But nobody has any idea what a solution is because 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 nobody's a socialist. I don't know. Like, it's incoherent, man. I don't know what the Batman was getting at. I'm telling you, that's what it was. It was getting at. Oh, like, isn't it all bad? That's yeah. too bad, huh? That's it. That's all we got for you. <laughs> I love when I love when he meets the Riddler. He's dressed as Batman, and the Riddler talks about Bruce Wayne for like a minute. Yeah, and then goes. But you understand me, and it's like the cheapest like fake out in the world. Also, just like, I wait, just, are we just talking about Batman now? Yeah, I don't, I don't have any larger. God, points. that movie's so bad. It was so stupid. But that's, sorry, yeah, I'll just say, you're you're asking me about creative stuff, and yeah. like I'm so into films of like, why why would I want to make a movie if the only way to make a movie is to go through the fucking world of movies that gives you a new the Batman every fucking year. It gives you a new the Marvel movies, whatever. How about, and we don't have to get too far into it, but politics seems like something you could be putting your energy toward moving forward in life. Well, there's some energy that goes into it. Yeah. There, there is some right. stuff. But and there's, there's no. ways also to combine the, the sort of creative life with, with that stuff. That, yeah, that's, that seems like real work, though. That seems like actual work. That seems like real work. Yeah. I'm not telling you that I got the answers for anything. I'm just telling you how I've managed to reconcile uh, reconcile what I do and I don't do in life uh, with what I have and have not been able to do in life. Sure. You know? 
but yeah, you know, uh, but for anyone who's wondering, like, what should you do? Um, vote for president. No, don't. Doesn't matter. <laughs> vote uh, blue, no matter who. Do support strike funds and labor unions as they form all over America. Mm-hmm. Yes. If you work for a living and you hate your job and you work in the service industry or something, uh, then, you know, then if you don't have anything to lose and you think you can just get another job, then try to unionize your workplace. Yep. Easy for me to fucking say. I'm an atomized tech worker who's never met my impl- my, my coworkers. Yeah. And, and I went to college and shit, you know. But, like, to the extent that I do put any political energy into anything anymore, it is, you know, it is at the, the, the state to a lesser extent, but local level, I, I am involved and pay attention in local elections and, and volunteer time and stuff um, uh, yeah. for certain campaigns. Um, and also then just, you know, support any strike fund you ever see, um, support the unionization of any workplace, um, you know, wholeheartedly and full-throatedly and, um, and, and wait for the next opportunity. Wait for the next opportunity for there to be some kind of, of um, mass force of, of social uh, movement that can can create any kind of significant opposing interest to capital. Well put. Okay, here's what I thought we could do. Oh, is just wrap up like the show. You know, everybody come to your thing every Friday. Yeah. Follow us on social media and all that. Yeah, sure. But uh, I thought we could just put like a firm spoiler warning here. Because because now we're gonna talk about the Batman. No, 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 no. We're gonna talk about. Um, something that might be an even bigger disagreement between us than the fabled Doctor Strange Love debate. Oh my goodness! Okay, all right. Be- because I got to the end of Apple TV Plus's Severance. Oh, okay, okay. And, you and didn't I, like it. I feel like I am losing my mind because everyone likes it, but me and my partner who didn't really? like it. Really? Oh wow! No, I think it's great. Yeah. Uh. And well, I, and I don't. And I, just to preface, it's not like dog shit or terrible. Yeah, obviously, it's like the the aesthetics are great and the the performance, but just like found that the actual slow drip of plot revelations to be something torturous to to to, to my patience. <laughs> okay. Didn't care for it, and I wanted to just spring that on you real quick at the end of the show. Well, let me start by saying... So if you haven't seen Severance, there's no way to talk about it without really just kind of getting into it. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And the reason Duncan brought it up with me is because I was bugging him to watch the show from and, the jump. And you made quite a point of this, which, you know... And, and what I will tell you is that when I... So, okay, if I've spent anything... If I've, if I've made anything clear the last hour, it's that I hate all new movies and television. Yes. Right? For the most part. I just... I don't find them interesting. Yeah. Um, and so when something new comes out that I do find interesting, I like to note it. Because we used to like to talk about movies and TV shows indeed, and stuff. And, indeed, we you know, do. And we don't have a water cooler anymore. You know? Yeah. So so I will note that when I was telling you, oh, there's a show you should check out. A couple episodes have come out. You were ahead of everybody. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah. It was, yeah, yeah we, we had watched the first. I think, it was, I think the third episode had just come out in mm-hmm. that weekend. I was telling you, you know, it's a great show. You should check it out. So I say all that to just say, I do think that it's going to be kind of hard to get around the conversation of like, well, is it not bad? Uh, or is it that it clearly got too hyped up for you and your expectations of that's, what it was were set in the wrong way or that's, whatever? That's very tough. Yeah. And we, we also did a huge disservice by watching it in basically three sittings. Interesting. When I feel like it is very geared to be every Friday or whenever it came well, out. What I will say is this. I didn't and, – and, and I'm also just – I guess I'm just – I'm built a little different than some people. I didn't care for a show like Lost – I think that a show that makes itself too much about plot gets very uninteresting to me for the most part. Mm-hmm. There are some exceptions, I suppose, but 
uh, you know, in the exceptions of the worlds of Breaking Bads and Better Call Saul's and stuff, like there's so much world building and and there's so much going on in these like long interminable episodes of nothingness. And that's stuff that I like, you know? Uh, yeah. Like I, you're, you're talking to the guy who finished all of Nicholas Winding Refn's uh, Too Old to Die Young. Oh my God. Yeah. Would not recommend for anybody not named me, but, uh, <laughs> but it was, but, but it was fine. I, I liked it. So, so I will say that like part of, part of why I decided I was in on the show early was um, one, I think Ben Stiller is like a really underrated kind of across the board talent. Um, uh, you know, I, I like Escape from Dana Moore. Yeah, no, yeah. he's he's a he's a good director at this point. I mean, he's always been a good director. Uh, he also, he's uh, he was the namesake of one of the best sketch comedy shows of all time, the Ben Stiller Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> one of those examples of a nepotism case where, uh, where sometimes uh, the nepotism case has talent. But I found the rhythms of the show interesting and just the core concept of it so uh, fascinating and relevant to, to today. Where you know the and, and it's such it's hard to explain for people because I feel like I was ex- I was telling you and Eric Krug about it yeah and like neither of you could wrap your head around <laughs> what I was explaining what the thing what the premise of the show was I got it but then when you watch it yeah you understand you get it real quick and yeah. for people I'll just try to very simply nutshell it uh, there are people who wake up in an office and they have no idea how they got there and they have only vague memories of the world outside of their office right mm-hmm. and they then learn that. They are the bifurcated brain, half of a brain, of a person who volunteered to take a job where when they go to work, they have no memories or knowledge of what they're doing. Yeah. So essentially, they're, they have a, a new personality created inside themselves that only lives in work. While they are at work, their real selves, their outer selves, don't know what's happening. So you could be doing secret government work, whatever, right? And yeah. you're not a security risk when you walk out the door. Uh, and that the person who's inside doing the work does not get any kind of, of experience or encountering the outside world at all. So so functionally, they're born into a world of an office. Sure. And I think that's just something, I mean- I love that premise. Really fascinating yeah. uh, about what it says about, about the nature of, of work in the modern world, right? Um, <clears throat> in some ways, when the show started enter, uh, entering all these like world-building elements and then stringing out plot elements where it becomes this thriller- I thought the show was in danger of losing me because mm. I don't give a shit about the thrill. I don't care. I don't, I don't need care. answers. Yeah. I don't need all that stuff. If you want to give me a well-crafted mystery where there's elements that I can kind of put together all the way through, maybe, maybe hit that sweet spot and you get your true detective season one. And yeah, we all sure. are staying sure. up. We're all yeah. staying up on that last Sunday uh. and the HBO app crashes because all of us streamers are trying to watch the, the finale. Right. And I feel like that's what this show turned into. It, it did hit that sweet spot of, it, it did ver- become a very plot-forward show. But if you watch just the first three episodes of it, it's just this mystery box of a world that's fascinating. I, I mean, like, I am very intrigued by the, like, larger implications. Like, because it seems like there's clearly more stuff going on in the way that the, the other, like, his sister and other people not involved are acting on the outside. Right. seem like they're telegraphing some stuff. And, like, the, the bigger picture has obviously a lot of things I didn't even get to but uh I found very little pleasure in the actual day-to-day of the show yeah I, I mean I, I guess your mileage will vary and then, on, on tone and and style and repetition and then just the 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 pace of the I don't even think it approaches lost of like of like revealing anything and making you wait episode to episode it just it was it was killing me to be like that's part, that's part of why I like it so much because <sighs> I mean for me I'm just I like just spending time with these people 
I mean, just a superlative cast. Yeah. The thing is, the thing is filmed and conceived. And when I say conceived, I mean like the every element of like visual design. When you see the office, you could just sit there. I could just sit there looking at that that one strange office room with the four cubicles in the center of the room. That was with yeah. their strange little visors. Mm-hmm. I could just watch a camera move around that and have me notice details of like, why do the computers look like they're from the seventies? Why does the like I could, do, just, I could just look at little elements of all these things. Where and do you? Like, how did this world get put together? For here's, an hour? here's the Rorschach thing. Maybe I was just like ready to throw stuff at the waffle party nonsense. Oh no! See, see, fucking. Don't get me wrong. Shoot me in the face. Don't get me wrong. This thing could all push too far. <laughs> but the fact that we're finding out that like Lumen the corporation is essentially a cult, right? Sure. Like Lumen is kind of like Scientology or something like that at this point in my brain. Yeah. Um, it's got a whole mythos to it. Well, I like- and, 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 and to me, the, the Waffle Party stuff, why it gets so weird and sexual, again, I, I kind of like sitting there and thinking about the central question, right, which is this very existential question about, you know, these people who are essentially secondary non-humans who are suborned to the, the, the real selves that created them by signing the contract and getting the chip in their brain and going to work, right? Yeah. Uh, those people... They've they've never had sex. They've never had a birthday party. They've never had uh, life experiences. Yeah, right? I mean, I love. You're vaguely aware of what life is. I love what Totoro brings to it because he's that his innie has found so much meaning in the entire sort of yeah. corporate handbook and, and right. deeper mythology and stuff. But just and like Christopher Walken's character and Christopher Walken, that was that was good until it was like just a little too much. But uh, but especially that next to last one where they're like, finally, we're gonna set up this mission to. Turn them on on the outside, but before that, this. <laughs> well, no, but, but see, but the waffle party thing is you're learning more about what the what the what the inner corporate religious world of Lumen is because, yes, these are still human beings. While they're sitting at their desk, they get a boner sometimes, right? Sex has to exist in this world somehow, but anything that exists in this world is controlled by the corporation, and it's turned into this like perverted ritual thing. So sex is, is another mode of social control in this world. One of the rewards you can get is the fucking waffle party. Yeah, all right. And that comes with uh, crazy prostitutes wearing masks. <laughs> but like, but the thing is, like, imagine if if you are, you know, you're born into this world, you know that you are essentially a slave, that you don't have access to an outside world where you can have any other experiences. Yeah. So the only way in which you could have that experience is something that is significant i mean like it's 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 like the fucking I, it's, it's like the fucking 9-11 hijackers going to a strip club the night before sure like like they have to have this weird ritualized experience of sexuality uh which is not what sex is going to a strip club is not sex right it's not <laughs> it's not sex in the way that like human beings have it in a meaningful way with each other in life right sure yeah, uh, yeah. but like these people because of their insane like religious interpretations of things as uh, are going to go do this thing tomorrow and what do they do the night before they go to strip bars because sex is a, is an element of, of 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 human expression and social control. Like, would they have blown themselves up if they didn't get to have the big fucking party the night before? Maybe not. Who knows? So so Lumen gives you the waffle party because you got to give some people some waffle parties, or they're gonna or they're just gonna they're just gonna keep biting the biting I, the manager guy. I mean, like I I enjoy this theory about it, but like just as presented with not much subtext. Not much at subtext. A, at a point. They make him wear a mask of the corporate founder. It's all subtext. What are the goats then, man? What the fuck? Like, well, I it's just... it's it's a connection to a more primal thing. So so to me, so think about it like this: 
the corporation is also a religion. I right? feel. I feel and like the religion is old time religion. It the they're doing something to make the rituals seem like they're tied to something ancient, sure, and therefore more meaningful. Uh, something that is something something that is yeah. that is tied to the spirit of an outside world. These people don't get to engage in. Right, like they like they need to make these rituals seem like a thing that's been passed down from their church for thousands of years. Okay. And again, if it's fucking Scientology, the story may be that these ancient fucking alien demons came here from outer space thousands of years ago. Sure, you know? yeah. Like so, so, so to me, it's like it suggests a folk tradition in this world of the the inner corporate cult universe. Scientology is a great analogy for it because yeah. it's like. Once they're already trapped, they make up a bunch of nonsense exactly. to keep them to get yes. them further in there. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, weird as shit. But remember, Scientology's real, and, and just, there's a million people in it. I just, I think it's real right now. That's happening. Here's, here's my, here's, here's the most unforgivable thing it did to me. Hear me out on this, because I, I'm just looking for like a person to relate to, where they, there's like a con, there's like. The, the most annoying thing it did in the finale, right? Mark's out there. The innies taking over the body. Uh-huh. He's trying to figure out stuff and establish contact. And they skip to the second half of his brief conversation with his sister. Uh-huh. They skip the moment when he says, I'm the innie self yes. out here in the world. And we don't, we miss her reaction. It just, they're already like talking about the logistics. Right. I was so pissed. No, but but you get that experience from Heli doing it because you do see, you do see um, that reveal was great. But, but I'm saying yeah. like, but but like instead of instead of every single one of those characters, there's three characters who have now snuck out essentially, right? Sure. Their sure, inny sure. selves are going to get turned on in the outside world, right? Yeah. Uh, and those three characters, uh, one of them is not around people, and so just has personal revelations, right, from being sure. in their own space. One of them, we do see the other characters around them realize that their personality just flipped and they're the other person right now, sure. right? Yeah, so right. we do get to see that interaction play out. And another one, we don't have to watch them have that conversation. So like you're, you're saying you you want to see the conversation where Mark talks to his sister. Be- to, me, to me, I'm like, we've already established we've, very well that Mark and his sister have such an intimate relationship and that they've had a lot of conversations about the nature of severance that I don't need to see him explain that whole thing to her just to get to the meat of the conversation. I want the emotion of her realizing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I want something grounded in a character that I understand their perspective and why they're reacting the way they're reacting. I was ready to strangle Patricia Arquette because I have no idea what she wants or why. And they're just, they're asking a huge buy-in on her craziness without any sense other than her devotion to Kira. She's the true believer. She's the truest believer. But then why have her get fired? Why pretend she stole the baby? It's all just fake outs that lead to nothing. Look, I'm not here to tell you. you know? I'm not here to tell you that I give a shit about if the cliffhanger of season one of this show that has, <laughs> that has you know, has effectively built this world. I don't care about the cliffhanger. I don't care. You don't if, care. If, if there's never a second season, I don't care. It's just great. All right. Uh, but but I will say that it does seem like you're much more invested in the the outer people's experience of understanding the world of Severance. Uh, which makes sense because you are like that person. You are a person on the outside of the world of Severance, trying to trying to understand like what what is it? Why would someone make that decision? You identify with the sister, and you want to see her reaction in that moment. Yeah, I don't care, right. and, and I, I don't care as much uh, because number one, I, th- I think we're going to get more of that from other characters. Um, sure, it, it clearly you know what the show's building toward now is this question of you know 
is the true nature of severance as essentially human slavery, uh, you know, selling people a product, which is, hey, you can we can put a chip in your brain and then it'll be like you never had to give birth. You'll your other self did it. You yeah. won't remember a thing. No pain. No I think I, right? I think it's just something. All that's going to happen. We're going to move toward the broader story being about the outside world reacting to the knowledge of severance. Right. Uh, to me, this, this this character, it's a side character, man. Like we're, it's about these inner people and their journey outward. So, so, so to me, like, to me, the show has become more about plot, and it was driving toward that I, big plot reveal. And to me, I was fine with it because we got so many nice, slow, early episodes where it doled out so little. That I'm like, fine, you can have some of this fucking step on the gas, get some stuff happening for the for the rubes. I don't even feel like they <laughs> stepped all the way on the gas. I was continually like, oh, we're get this is the entire finale. It literally experience. ends midway through him screaming a sentence. Oh. <laughs> Don't get me started on that. But hey, like ultimately, what it comes back around to for me is so many things about how it's made. Mm-hmm. It's it's incredibly well acted. It is filmed in northern New Jersey in the winter time, which is something you never see. And so the way they do yeah. things, like you know, use that big office park and manicure the they manicure the the parking lot so that the I just the snow is all in like perfect uh, symmetry and stuff. Like, I think a lot it's, of fascinating. I stuff. think it is like in a way a more fun show for me to think about than to watch because. <laughs> But uh, but and because I just like I felt like the the I wasn't tuned into like the sort of dourness of it like so much time with him drinking, you know we're like oh he's drinking because he's sad again I get it, and then the so wife's like three scenes and the whole first season the, of him it, drinking it's it's forty five minutes of him being sad it's really not that much it's, okay it's and then it's oh and you're building to she's still alive oh okay sure. That was his. That was his one thing, and now I have nothing to go on. Look, I I, I don't know what what would make you happy because I don't I don't care about like the plot stuff as yeah. much. Like like I'm not as invested in it. It sounds like you, it sounds like you, you don't like that it has a lot of that plot stuff, but you also don't like the slow the slow TV the the slow ruminative yeah like dripping out like little like little 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 threads of the world building of what this whole little, insane bizarre little scenario pieces. is yeah and that's all the stuff that i like sitting in uh, <laughs> so like i mean i don't know what you're looking for in a tv show but but i but you know i, 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 I will just say this is this is you're the first person i know who is not like the show uh, i can only find like a half dozen other people on the internet that don't like it that yeah, much. It's 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 pretty good, man. Uh, so do we normally do you normally review TV shows for like an hour in your in your podcast? No, I just thought this would be fun because you've been building it up for so long. I wasn't building it up for so long. No, no, the no. show was new. I said, check out the show, it's pretty good. Yeah. And then I'd be like, hey, you're watching the show? Okay, I guess <laughs> you're not. Like we could have talked about it at any point before now, and it wouldn't have been built up. It's not, that, that, no, 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 that's true. That's true. I just thought it'd be fun because I it's 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 a very Kubrickian sort of coldness and slowness that put me off about it. So it just put me oh, in mind. Oh no of like wonder you led with the, the Doctor Strange love. You just don't like Kubrick. I just rap. I just watched Full Metal Jacket this week and it's fucking good. Look, yeah. Even his worst movies are really good. I mean, like, and I, I, you know, just I admit that I'm firmly in the minority here, but I don't get the hype. I don't get the the hubbub. Well, to quote another great Kubrick character. Uh, Private Duncan Carson is silly and he's ignorant, but he's got guts and guts is enough. <laughs> he's got guts. Uh, well, that was fun. Thanks for being on the show, man. It's fun to be here. Thanks for thanks for making the time and and uh, talking to me outside of work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have a have a good week, everybody. Bye.